1: almost gone 9.30 just before. This is M. You are listening to 3CR Radical Radio. I'm here on Dirt Radio, Friends of the Earth's weekly news, activist, environmental issues and affairs show. This morning I'm in the studio with my lovely co-host, Phil.
2: Morning, Em.
1: How are you going this morning?
2: I am really, really well.
1: <laughs> it's great to be here Um for another show. Always lots happening and for us to bring to you, the lovely listener of Dirt Radio. Before we start the show this morning, just want to make an acknowledgement that we are broadcasting today from Stolen Lands, the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. And just shout out to all the staunch First Nations mob out there uh, currently defending their country and, uh, you know, being on the front line of environmental issues.
2: For sure, especially those up at Jabwarung Embassy, and we might check in and just give a little update um, on what's going on a little later in the show. Um, of course, for 45 years, Friends of the Earth have been mobilizing communities to resist forest destruction and to transform our world into one where we live in harmony with nature rather than seeking to tame and destroy it. And today on the show, we're going to uh, talk with uh, Sue McKinnon, who is from the King Lake Friends of the Forest, who've been protecting... Uh, country protecting forest up there uh, for um, quite a number of months and years um, now from Vic Forest and Native Forest logging and we'll find out about some of the impacts um, that are happening on the forest, uh, why it's so special and how you can help protect it and that is coming up just after this quick community service announcement.
0: The Australian Plants Expo is a huge native plant fair with displays, books, garden pots, giftware and activities for children, along with talks, demonstrations, workshops, refreshments and door prizes. The Australian Plants Expo, Saturday the 14th and Sunday the 15th of September, 10am to 4pm at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Adults $5, concessions $4 and children free. Contact Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra via email on apsyarrayarra at gmail.com or call 0430 513 433 for more information. The Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra is a 3CR supporter.
2: You're back listening to Dirt Radio. Um, Phil and M joining you this morning on this chilly Melbourne morning talking about forests. In particular, we're travelling around about an hour, an hour and a half northeast of Melbourne up to the area of King Lake. Um, it's up near Hillsville, for those who are listening at home and trying to draw that mental image on their map. Um, there's beautiful forest out there. Anyone who's been out there can attest to that. And there is a wonderful group called the King Lake Friends of the Forest who've been protecting that area for quite some time now. And joining us in the studio is activist Sue McKinnon, part of the King Lake Friends of the Forest group. Good morning, Sue.
1: Good morning. Welcome. Great to be here, Phil and
2: Em. Uh, great to have you here.
1: Yeah, thanks for joining us. So,
2: King Lake Forest, can you paint a bit of a picture? What is that area like and why is it so special?
0: Well, King Lake Forest is not far from the, the Hurstbridge line. If you take the end of the Hurstbridge line, you're just almost there, um, or near Whittlesey, uh, not far from Eltham. It's, it's only about 60 minutes from Melbourne. And it's a really popular recreational area. It's um, very popular. It's (laughs) crowded. It's not crowded because it's (laughs) quite a big area. But um, there's a lot of uh, motorbikes use the area on weekends, sometimes on weeks as well. Uh, Horse riders, walkers. um, It's dog walkers, I guess. So um, it's near the King Lake National Park, but this is State Forest. um, So it sort of gets... A big recreational use. It's um, quite an established forest. Uh, The area that we're talking about uh, survived the 2009 fires importantly. Um, Much of the area was completely destroyed in those fires um, and basically had to start again so the trees are only about 10 metres tall. Um, These particular areas that Vic Forest are logging um, of course, uh, taller than 10 metres, they're, um, they're the 40 metre tall forests that survived the fires. And um, I guess the reason they did was the fires burnt through there late at night, so it didn't burn with quite as much intensity as in, in a lot of the, um, the forest around the area. So um, the trees were completely black and charred after the fires, but they did manage to recover um, and, uh, you know, importantly, some, um, some of our threatened species were in the gullies and some of the threatened species were able to recover, you know, survive those fires. Um, they don't, the Greater Glider in particular doesn't move in from elsewhere. Um, mm. they're, they're not a mobile animal, so... We had a small population that survived the fires, and they've been able to breed up since.
2: Sure. Um, that almost feels like death by a thousand cuts. Um, the fire goes through in 2009, as you said. Like, you know, it's just trying to, the habitat's trying to re-establish itself. And then in comes Vic Forest to log the area. I mean, it just seems outrageous.
0: It's it's outrageous. It's cruel. It's causing a lot of grief and heartache. Um uh, just a lot of sadness. It's such a waste because, um, eight, well, Vic Forest's own documents say that 81% of that wood is going directly to the paper mill to, for its pulp um, grade. Um, so, you know, w- the value of the forest for our threatened species, for recreation, for, you know, for carbon storage um, is just so much greater than the value for, for paper. And uh, and literally, we have had rallies up there, and, um, and, and I vividly remember, you know, someone crying, someone howling. Mm. Um, it's causing so much grief there. So, um, yeah, just, just mm. you know, and, and understandable grief. Uh, the, mm. the King Lake community has lost so much already. And after the fires, a lot of trees were cut down on the the thought that they might be unsafe. And I recall a meeting a few months after those fires where the community hall was packed because people were so upset about the trees being cut down. And they they said, these few trees we've got left, we want to keep. And um, and there was a reassessment of, of what they were doing after the fires then. And yet 10, um, 10 years later, on the 10th anniversary of those fires, actually, um, the the loggers moved in and um, uh, they've been cutting down 100 hectares already and 120 hectares already. They've got another 80 to go and we're not going to
1: let them. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty devastating to, you know, think that the community's already been hit so hard and to now have the Vic Forests coming in. So I I read on your website that about six months or so ago there's been some... Um, some protesting against the Vic Forests, when did they come in and what's the kind of, you know, you said it's to do with the paper mill, but, yeah, what's kind of some of the background with Vic Forests in the area? Well,
0: Vic Forests have been logging the entire Central Highlands and East Gippsland Mm. for 14 years, I think, Um, and over 80% of all the logging goes to the paper mill. There's a contract with the paper mill and that volume simply has to be uh, provided. And that contract certainly needs to be readdressed because the paper mill can supply their own requirements from their own plantations that they choose to export um, to Japan rather than use in Merivale. Uh, so there's devastation has been happening for many years over the whole native forest area in Victoria. And uh, the, there's the King Lake is just one we're focused on, uh, hmm. certainly Tulangi and Mount Disappointment as well. Uh, but about um, about s- oh, eight months ago, we did a survey of greater gliders in King Lake, and we were actually surprised to see such a healthy population. They're regarded as a high density population mm-hmm. because of the number we found. And uh, so we wrote to Vic Forrest and said, "You can't log here. This is this is threatened species habitat. There are threatened species here." They just simply said, "We can, and we will."
2: And. You said that the paper mill is able to supply its own um, pulp in order to um, make these paper sources from their own plantations. What is the reasons given that they should um, use native forests instead of their own plantation? Is it economic or...?
0: When we spoke to them, they said uh, it would be too costly to bring the wood up from, uh, what is it, Mount Gambier area, that's southwest Victoria, um, we did challenge them and say, "Well, you can send it to Japan to make paper; that yeah. seems to be okay, but you can't bring it from Southwest Victoria to Merivale."
2: And it we- does seem to be one of those economic arguments, isn't it? Where you know, I mean, the externalities, like um, you know, like threatening a species like the greater glider, um, doesn't seem to be factored into their economics at all. No,
0: no, the government gives the wood to them at such a cheap price. We, in fact, subsidise the. The wood that we provide to Merivale. so of course it's cheaper for them to get our native wood than um, their own plantation wood, um, mm. and, and they're they're wanting to have a cheap price to sell international paper.
2: Mm. Oh, <laughs> it really boils your blood, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so you you talked a little bit about the um, greater glider. Um, Can you paint a little picture for the people at home? Because they are a beautiful species. Uh Like I'm getting goosebumps and all the warm, fuzzy feelings just thinking about how cute they are. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about them? Because they are listed as a threatened species. They are quite iconic in Victoria, aren't they?
0: Yeah, so they're they're quite a large animal. They're they're the size of a... We call them the size of a baby koala, uh, but they glide, so they're a flying baby koala, basically. Um, (laughs) uh, They have these huge ears that are furry. Uh, very large eyes, and that's what you see when you're spotlighting. Um, they're quite a character. Um, you don't, when you see eye shine of other animals, it's not quite as big and vibrant as <laughs> as for the greater glider. And they'll just sit there and look at you, because they they're like a koala. They only eat gum leaves, so a lot of their energy is taken up in digesting those gum leaves. That's mm. why they're not mobile, actually. Um, so. So you can have this quite long interaction of these beautiful animals just looking at you and you're looking at them. Uh, They've got this incredibly long furry tail. It goes uh, a 60 centimetre long tail which just hangs down. Uh, They're very furry. They um, can't be picked up in thermal cameras. You just have to pick them up on on torch because they've got so much fur it protects um, the, the heat. You can't pick up the heat
1: from them. Um, And yeah, as you say, incredibly cute. (laughs) Yeah, it seems, you know, just ludicrous that they wouldn't be protecting such an amazing species. Well, they were listed as threatened over two years ago, and it's
0: up to the Department of Environment to write an action statement for what we can do to stop them going to becoming extinct. And the... Uh, Department of Environment, Lily D'Ambrosio's minister, has chosen not to write that action statement. So everything that happened to them in the past is continuing to happen to them. And literally where you find a greater glider in a tree, that tree can still be removed and is being removed.
1: Mm. Well, it seems like... The work that you've been doing with, um, you know, kind of surveying those populations and getting out how, how many numbers are down there would be really important. What's some of the other work that you've been doing in the area? Uh, we've also been doing a,
0: a, a tree survey as well as surveying for gliders. We survey for trees, for habitat trees, and found that Vic Forest had only detected half of the habitat tree type ones that they um that they should have, they should be detecting all of those, and there are other habitat tree, you know, type two and type three that they should have been accounting for as well, and they they haven't. So we just tallied all those up and reported to the Department of Environment, and but importantly, we. We just simply, they weren't going to talk to us about this at all. We could not meet with them. We could not get any time with them. They just kept putting us off. So we, uh community simply walked into the coop and stopped them logging when they mm. completely refused to talk to us. And uh, that stopped the logging. Over four weeks, we had various logging stops um, and, uh, and got their attention and we were able to have some discussion with them. We, we were able to save a lot of trees, but the logging continued and the supply to the paper mill continued and that forest will will not be the same again, ever. It It's basically around 120 years old, this forest. It, it managed to escape the 1939 fires, which is pretty staggering mm-hmm. for forest around Victoria. We don't have much forest around Victoria that survived, that, that escaped those fires. So it's quite an aged forest and it will never be that again. Maybe in a hundred years' time it will be near it, but with climate change we don't even know if it will get there again.
1: Mm. Yeah, and thinking about some of those risks that increase with climate change, like just going back to what you were saying about the Black Saturday fires, um, like I grew up in the kind of Greensboro, Diamond Creek area and I even remember just the colour of the sky and... Just the, you know, how much that impacted those communities out there in that time. You mentioned how fire risk can increase with some of this um, logging. Do you see that as a bit of a threat at the moment? Absolutely, it's a threat. This, the COOP that they just, the
0: area of forest that they just logged is adjacent to five, uh, five families. Mm. Uh, when they log the next one, they'll be adjacent to nine families. They're only a kilometre away from the, the, the primary school. And a couple of kilometres away from the main area of town, so when they increase, when the the fire threat gets increased by the regrowth forest, and it certainly will be, um all the research shows that young regrowth forest is more flammable and burns with higher intensity than uh, established forest, uh, that will just be a threat hanging over the heads of those families living adjacent. And the whole community, even uh, even you know, down to um, Hearst Bridge and St Andrews, uh, Strathuen, all these places that were affected by fires at 2009, we all still worry in summer and we're going to worry more now. Uh, there's, there's no doubt that logging increases fire risk and Vic Forest admit it. The fact that they're doing this is appalling to an already um, traumatized community. Mm. Um, it's it's just not excusable.
2: No, and the, the the impact like of the fires enough was enough. It's just um, so outrageous that the government continues to to put communities at risk like this. Um, also, I um, know um, beyond that risk of fire as well. There are potential economic risks and um, impacts on the businesses around the area, particularly agricultural and farming. The forest kind of plays a bit of a symbiotic role with farmers in some respects. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, that role that the forest plays with adjacent farm and farmlands?
0: Yeah, well, it's it's a very important farm area up there because of the um, the depth of the topsoil in King Lake and the richness, the amount of uh, rain that they get up there, they've actually got an overlay on their land as agricultural land because it is so rich. And the uh, the wind, the increase in wind over those paddocks now is so dramatic after just this one area was logged right adjacent. There's been other areas logged further up into the. Um, into the forest and that's increased the wind of course in those areas but having forest logged right beside important agricultural land dries out that land um, because of the wind and also will dry it out further because of the the extra uptake of water from the young regrowth forest so um, we've already got local farmers nearby saying they've had damage to their houses because of the increase in wind and, and um, there's going to be more so uh, the next area for us to be logged is, is still adjacent to properties and, yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's an ac- uh, why should one, um, one commercial interest override the commercial interest of others without any discussion?
2: Mm. And all this for paper, mm. which is just, I mean, it, it would be laughable if it wasn't so serious and the impact's so broad and so spread out. Um, if people are listening at home, uh, are there ways that they can support the campaign to protect King Lake Forest?
0: Yeah, of course, write to, write to the government, write to Australian paper, uh, write to um, come up and visit uh, mm. Particularly, you can come up on our spotlight night on the threatened species day. is the seventh of September, Saturday, mm-hmm. the seventh of September, and we're doing a spotlight night that night. So, we oh, can I say we guarantee you'll see greater gliders. It's risky to say that, but every time we <laughs> every time we've gone out, we have seen a number of greater gliders. Wow. So it's a really special area, and there's not many areas you can actually say that when you do uh, surveys for wildlife. So that's um, We're meeting at 6 o'clock on um, Saturday, the 7th of September up there.
2: Fantastic. Um, We'll put the details for that in the show notes um, for the podcast as well.
1: Yeah. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Dirt Radio on 3CR. We've been speaking with Sue McKinnon, a forest protector, who is uh, battling against the paper giants up in the King Lake Forest to help us preserve um, our important uh, forest resources and, yeah, good good to uh, speak with you today, Sue. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Evan and Phil. Thanks.
2: Did you know volunteering contributes to a happier life? Want to know what you can do to make a difference in your local community of Whittlesea? Whittlesea Community Connections hold a volunteer information session every month. It is a friendly session where you get to meet others and be linked to not-for-profit organisations contact michelle from whittlesea community connections on 94016630 or visit our website
1: www.whittlesecc.org.au
2: to find out more A 3cr supporter
1: you're listening to dirt radio this is em i'm here with phil today and we are coming down to the last 10 minutes of the show So it's time to bring you up to date with some events that are coming up at Friends of the Earth in the next week or so. So tomorrow morning at 7.30am, the Sustainable Cities Collective are holding their weekly banner drop at the Eastern Freeway for Doncaster Rail. If you want better public transport, get along to their banner drop. Uh, It starts at 730 in the morning and... Their campaign at the moment is around the Northeast Link. So you might know that the Northeast Link is going to bring more traffic and congestion to the Eastern Freeway. And it's also going to rule out the possibility of the Doncaster rail line that's been promised to that community out there for so long. So get down. If you're up for an early morning banner drop, hop onto their uh, Facebook page for more information. And tomorrow evening, 6 till 8.30 p.m., We are having an event at Friends of the Earth. Is nuclear power a solution to climate change? No. Uh, (laughs) That's the short answer, but if you want to come along and hear a more nuanced conversation uh, about that issue, You can come along to the beautifully renovated Yami Lester room and you can hear from some people who've got a lot of experience and knowledge of the nuclear power industry. We had a few weeks ago on the show, Dr. Jim Green coming to dispel some of those nuclear myths. So he'll be chatting with Professor Tillman Ruff and they're going to also be showing some short films about Chernobyl and some other uh, nuclear accidents that you might not have heard about. So if you've got any questions, come along. There'll be some soups, some hot drinks. It's going to be a great night. And on Thursday the 29th, uh, so the day after yes renewables collective are hosting an info night so that's 6 30 to 8 also upstairs in the meeting room and they are currently on the road to 100 percent renewables so there's been some sort of you know federal inaction on renewables but yes renewables collective have been chipping away on the victorian stage to secure more and more renewable energy so if you're interested in getting us to a 100% renewable energy future for Victoria, come along to that meeting. No prior knowledge is required. And they're also going to have some food and beverages available. Yum. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, All exciting stuff. And, of course, don't forget you can always find those more events on Facebook, Facebook. Uh, Friends of the Earth Melbourne Facebook So you jump on there and just search for Friends of the Earth Melbourne and click on the events tab And there is all sorts of things including Getting involved in the many collectives At Friends of the Earth Whether your passion lie with forests Like we were talking about today with Sue McKinnon From the King Lake Friends of the Forests or if you're interested in renewable energy, stopping the nuclear industry, protecting rivers, uh, whatever your passion lies in, um, there are lots of collectives and lots of like-minded people that you can go along and collaborate with at Friends of the Earth.
1: There's always there's always something to uh, get involved with, no matter your interest. <laughs> and I was thinking we should probably do a bit of an update on Japarung as well. Sure. Did you... I could do that one. I've been up there last week, so... Yeah, spent a bit of time up there last Monday to Thursday. And um, basically the time has passed now. The embassy were issued an eviction order. They had 14 days, um, but obviously they said that they would not be leaving the land. Um, Vic Roads are ready to come in and start building the road. Uh, So that passed on Wednesday. On Tuesday or Wednesday, there was some workers coming onto the site. There's been no police come on as of yet. But the threat is imminent, so at any moment now they could be getting ready to come on and evict Jaffarong people and all of their supporters up there. So it is really important that the numbers up at camp stay high. We need people up on the ground so that the police don't think that they can just walk in and kick people out when there's not enough numbers watching. Last week um, it was a really, really amazing energy up there. There was about hundreds of people, 200, 300 people up there Wednesday and Thursday. And when there's that many people, there's so much that can get done. There was a beautiful sit-in at Vic Roads and um, lots of banner painting and people just um, having lots of chats by the campfire. And that's what they need. They need that that constant energy. There was a big uh, union carpool went up on the weekend as Mm. well. So... If you're in your community, maybe have a think about ways that you could get your friends or, you know, your work colleagues or anyone to do a bit of a trip up. Even even if you're just up for a day, it's better, obviously better if you can stay a few nights or a week or whatever, but whatever you're able to do, it's really important that there's numbers up on the ground. So get up to the Japarong embassy just near uh, Ararat.
2: Yeah, for sure, and I think it's also important to note that uh, whatever skills, whatever passion, whatever you have to bring up is welcome. It's a community space, so everything from uh, you know making sure that the uh, the toilets are clean and functioning, through to um, painting banners, through to um, helping with. Uh, deploying actions, um, anything in between that. So pretty much anything you can imagine. If you can go up there and maybe give a couple of people a haircut, maybe they'd probably be happy. A massage, anything like that. It's a community space. So um, bring along all of the things that you can because it is all valued and all important to make sure that those wonderful protectors up there stay um, healthy, flourishing, and able to do that work. So go and join them.
1: Absolutely. It's important to uh, be supporting the frontline uh, actions that are happening at the moment. There's, you know, quite a few in this, you know, on so-called Australia and around the world. And um, now's the time for us to step up. So on that note, it's probably time to uh, wrap things up on Dirt Radio.
2: Yeah, for sure. So don't forget before we go you can always catch up with a podcast of the show. So if you jump on to 3cr.org.au and check out the Dirt Radio section, you'll find podcasts um, going way back in time um, to to the beginning of (laughs) Dirt Radio. Um, So you can always catch up with the podcast. Um, There's lots of issues, lots of uh, kind of good explainers on all sorts of um, campaigns going on from the voices who are directly affected on the front lines um, and from experts and all sorts of people as well because that's what 3CR is all about. Radical radio, empowering the voices that you don't always hear elsewhere.
1: Exactly. And on that note, I think I might take us out today with uh, a Patty Smith number. Yes. People have the power. Just, you know, really hits home some of those messages that we've been talking about. <laughs> get Get organized and, you know, step up in your community. We can do it.
2: <laughs> Love it. See you later, everyone.